If you have your Bible, turn to John chapter 14. Um, You're going to need your Bible tonight. For sure going to need your Bible tonight. Um, Or your device. Some of you, uh, you don't turn the pages. You flip the screen. And so whatever you chose to bring tonight, you're going to need it on your lap. Here's the reason why. Because I'm not putting any verses on the screen tonight. We're going to get a little exercise in. Um, That's not my normal uh, procedure. I I like to be able, especially when I'm preaching a topical message, multiple texts of scripture. I like to be able to move through it quickly. But I was just in a mood to make you work. So um, that's what we're doing tonight. We're going to open up the Bible or your device with the Bible on it. And we're going to look at a ton of scripture. Uh, tonight. Theology for Life is the series that we're in and, and we're talking about different major Bible doctrines or theologies. You know, one of my favorite things about this series is, is that we are, we are not discussing uh, theologies that are less than clear in Scripture. We're, we're not taking our time to look at all the obscure passages that people think are a big deal that really aren't. What I like is that we're taking some of the most orthodox truth in the Bible, the clearest truth in the Bible, the, the, the theology that, that the Bible, through the Holy Spirit's inspiration, makes clear to us. So as it's like God's way of saying, don't miss these things. I'm going to go to length to make these things extra clear and extra important. And those are the topics we're choosing uh, to preach about. There's, there's definitely space and time to talk about the more obscure uh, theological issues that, that come our way from time to time. But if we're talking about theology for life, then we're going we're gonna to choose to focus on the things that are, that are clear in Scripture. And those are the things we're going to teach you. Service. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever thought how neat it would have been to be one of Christ's original disciples and get to speak to Jesus face to face during his earthly ministry. You ever thought about that? Now, there are a lot of things about being an original disciple that I, I'm frankly not interested in. You know, being burned at the stake, <laughs> being martyred. I'm not interested in that. Um, I like being a Christian today in that regard. However, to be able to walk side by side with Jesus, have you thought how amazing that would be? To hear his voice and to see him do things with your own eyes, it'd be amazing. But imagine this. One day Jesus tells those same original disciples, here in John 14, that after he leaves, they would do more than when he was present with them. That's amazing. Look at John 14, verse 12. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, The works that I do shall he do also. And watch this next phrase. And greater works than these shall he do because I go unto my father. How's that possible? Jesus leaves and the disciples become more effective. Look at verse 16. Drop down to verse 16 of chapter 14. And I will pray the father and he shall give you another comforter. That he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. Jesus promised that, that when he left, the work of his kingdom would increase, not decrease, 
And that that would be able to happen through the work, the presence, the indwelling, the power, and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. The theology, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Now, Pastor David did an amazing job several weeks ago talking about who the Spirit is and his teaching on the Trinity. Tonight, I want to focus particularly on what the Holy Spirit does. What I'll do is I'll use the first half of the sermon tonight to teach about the Spirit's work in two places, in the world and in the life of the believer. We're going to look at a ton of scripture, so so get ready for that. And then after I do a little bit of teaching, I'll do some application to close the message and we'll go home tonight. Let's start with this. Number one, the Spirit's work in the world. The Spirit's work in the world. If you're in John 14, turn a couple pages over to John 16, if you would, please. John chapter 16. And look at verse 7 through verse 11. This demonstrates, explains his, his, the Holy Spirit's work in the world. Verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me. Of righteousness because I go to my father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the prince of the world is judged. Notice verse 8 again says that when the Holy Spirit's come, what is he going to do? He's going to reprove the world of sin. Do you see that? That word reprove means to convict. That word conviction or even the word reprove can have sort of a negative connotation. But what we need to realize tonight is that the Holy Spirit's reproving work in the world is actually a very positive ministry. And here's why. No one can be saved or regenerated without the Spirit's convicting work. Nobody. It's not like somebody wakes up one day and says, I think I'll turn to God today. I think, no, today, today's the day I become a Christian. No, that doesn't happen that way. You only even understand your need to become a Christian as the Holy Spirit shows you. You only understand your need for a Savior as the Holy Spirit reveals to you the depravity of your own soul. He reproves you of the sin that is within you. Let's, let's start with, with what he's going to reprove first in verse 9. He's going to reprove the world of sin because they believe not on me. So the Spirit, one of his ministries is to show the unbeliever both the reality and the seriousness of sin. Now, now keep your spot in John 16 because we're going to come right back to it. Okay, take your ribbon thing or, or a piece of paper or whatever, a piece of gum, put it in John chapter 16. Go to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. You say, why, does, why do we need the Holy Spirit's help here? Well, because of how wicked we really are. Romans 3 points this out, beginning in verse 10 and going down to verse 18 of Romans 3. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips. 
whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. In the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. It's obvious by these verses that man in and of himself is not good. Would you agree with that tonight? Sinful men left to themselves are capable of doing some really, really bad things. That's why the only hope for sinful men in this world is the convicting and reproving ministry of the Holy Spirit that allows all of us to see the truth so that we can believe on Christ and have our sin forgiven. Now turn back to John chapter 16. Let's move on. He, he's going to reprove the world of their sin, but, but he's also going to reprove the world of righteousness. Verse number 10 says, because I go to my father and you see me no more. So, so the Holy Spirit's not only going to reprove the world of their sin, but also of the necessity of righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit's going to allow people to be able to see their need for a savior. The Holy Spirit's going to help people understand that their sin is so deep. Their sin is such a part of who they are that they cannot make themselves right with the father. The Holy Spirit's going to minister to the lost sinner and say, you need a savior. Someone bigger than yourself, something, something greater than baptism, something more powerful than communion, something more effective than benevolence. You need Jesus Christ. Look at verse 11, John 16 of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. The spirit convicts people of, of the judgment that is to come for sin. If the leader of all sinners, Satan himself, the prince of judgment is going to be judged, then that makes his followers judgment inescapable. So the Holy Spirit draws the sinner to a savior by revealing to him through the word of God, through the testimony of faithful witnesses in this world, that there is indeed coming a judgment on this world for sin. So it's clear that the Holy Spirit works in the world. He shows us our sin. He shows us our need for righteousness by, by, by Christ. And then the certainty of judgment if we reject Christ. Listen, friend, you cannot be saved without the Holy Spirit's help. Are you, are you hearing me? You can't. And your friends and your family members, they can't. The Holy Spirit has a ministry much greater than your most effective gospel presentation. Yes, we can persuade people. I mean, in our fallen nature, we can even manipulate people. But if you want real transformation, you want someone to be genuinely born again, it needs to fundamentally be the work of the Holy Spirit. That's how he works in the world. Notice, secondly, and this is where we we'll spend most of our time teaching tonight, the Spirit's work in the believer. The Spirit's work in the believer. If you've been saved, say amen tonight. Yeah, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the reason why you're saved. You would not be saved without him. And so now what does the Holy Spirit do after he draws you to Christ? What does the Holy Spirit do after, after he indwells you? Six things I want to, I want to teach you tonight. Number one, the Holy Spirit regenerates. The Holy Spirit regenerates. So I want you to go to John chapter three, would you please? John chapter three. Now I know you're with me if the pages are turning. And if you have a device, just make a page turning sound with your voice. Thank you. 
It's powerful. Sound a little more like a machine gun, but that'll work. I love this passage of scripture. Look at verse three, John three, verse three. Jesus answered and said unto him, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Regeneration or rebirth is the transformation of a person brought about by the Holy Spirit that then changes that individual from spiritual death to spiritual life. Number two, the Holy Spirit indwells. Turn to Romans chapter 8, please. The Holy Spirit indwells. you got John. Go to the right in your Bible. You get to Acts, then you'll get to Romans. Romans chapter number 8. The Holy Spirit indwells. Now, if you read the Old Testament, you're, you're, you're going to notice that the Holy Spirit came on certain believers uh, for special ministries, for special times of service. Read, read the book of Judges, starting in verse or chapter 13 through 16. You'll read of a man by the name of Samson. And you'll read, you'll read many times where it says the Spirit came upon him to, to, to perform certain tasks as a representative of God to God's people. But, but Jesus... In John 14, promised the apostles that after his ascension back to heaven, believers would receive a permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The apostle Paul confirms that in Romans chapter 8 and verse 9. Look at it. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. This is why we believe that that you don't get saved and then later get get a dose of the Holy Spirit. Because that verse says that uh, the last phrase, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't belong to God. It's a package deal, in other words. With salvation comes the installation of the Holy Spirit in your life. And he indwells you forever. He makes residence in your life. Now, that's an amazing thought. God in you. It's awesome. Number three, the Holy Spirit seals. The Holy Spirit seals. What does that mean? Turn to Ephesians 1. I'll show you. Ephesians chapter 1. Keep going to the right. You'll get to 1 Corinthians. You'll get to 2 Corinthians. You'll get to Galatians. And then you'll get to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. Two verses. Verses 13 and verse 14, verse 13 and verse 14, Ephesians 1. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit, you could say, is our earnest money. He's our down payment. And that down payment secures our eternity in heaven until we get there. How many have ever bought a house? Just like when when Jenny and I put an offer down on a house several years ago, we signed a contract and then we gave $1,000 of earnest money. 
Why did we do that? We did that to show the owner of the house that we were serious about buying it and finishing out the transaction until it was fully complete. Paul uses that language, the earnest language to illustrate how the Holy Spirit secures the believer. The day we got saved, the Holy Spirit became that earnest. He, he put down, so to speak, what was necessary to secure us until that final transaction is made and until we receive the complete inheritance that is promised us in heaven. I love this doctrine because it assures me that I don't, I don't have to keep myself in a relationship with God. The songwriter said it, said it right. He will hold me fast. I love that because if it was up to me, I probably would have let go a long time ago. I'm feeble. I'm sinful. I, I, I'm like a sheep. I'm prone to wonder and prone to stray from the shepherd's fold. But I'm thankful that the Holy Spirit has sealed me until the day of redemption. I'm so thankful for that. Notice next, the Holy Spirit teaches. The Holy Spirit teaches. Now go back to your left to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So two books back. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And look at verses 9 through 14. The Holy Spirit teaches. 1 Corinthians 2 verses 9 through 14. But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit. For the spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. This, this teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit we often refer to as illumination. The Holy Spirit ministers as a teacher for the Christian. Not necessarily to reveal new revelation from God, but to help the believer comprehend and then put into action the revelation already given to us in His Word. There are often times when you look at God's Word and and you need the Spirit's help to either understand what God is speaking to you about or to, to know how to apply what you do understand. And, and I, I found it so awesome sometimes that the Holy Spirit almost turns on the light bulb for me. Not to give some private interpretation of a verse. Well, I think it means this. I, I, I certainly believe in going to, to, to other men who are seasoned in the scriptures and, and studying books and, and comparing scripture with scripture and, and, and doing what we call hermeneutics, the science of interpreting the word of God. I, I believe in those principles, but I believe as we put the work in, the Holy Spirit begins to illuminate the truth to us. And maybe even more importantly, the Holy Spirit tells us this is how you ought to live this out. He shines the light on certain aspects of our life that without his help, we wouldn't see. Let me give you another one. The Holy Spirit feels. Boy, I'm thankful for this one. The Holy Spirit feels. Now, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? 
I believe at, 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 its, at its base definition, to, to be filled with the Holy Spirit means to walk with the Spirit, to be in submission to the Spirit. A lot of times people think that, that being filled with the Spirit has something to do with the way we feel. Like the feeling it gives us. When it doesn't have as much to do with how we feel as much as it has to do with how we live. Now, somebody who is filled with the Spirit typically feels pretty good. Life isn't perfect, but they have the fruit of the Spirit. And one of those things is joy. So it does affect the way we feel. But, but the manifestation of being filled with the Spirit, living a life filled with the Spirit, the manifestation of that shows up in concrete actions. I want to show you that. Ephesians 5. Did I tell you to turn there? Come on, y'all. Read my mind. Ephesians 5. We're going to look at, at quite a few verses here. I want to show you this. This is awesome. Ephesians 5, look at verse number 18. When you're there, say amen. amen. Any stragglers? Amen. Come on, Bill. All right. You need to get a quicker Bible. Ephesians 5, 18 through 19. And be not drunk with wine. How many know we shouldn't get drunk? All right, six of you. And be not drunk with wine where it is excess, but be filled with the spirit. Be filled with the spirit. I love this. How is that manifested? Next verse, verse eight, uh, verse 19. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Spirit filled people love to sing praises to the Lord. If you come to church and the music starts up and, and the congregation is singing and you're like, I'm just not into this. Then you are not filled with the spirit of God. Because people who are filled with the spirit love to sing praises to God. Okay, look at the next verse, verse 20. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Spirit-filled people are thankful people, grateful people. So when we complain, we are not simultaneously filled with the Spirit of God. That is a work of the flesh. Filling of the Spirit gives us gratitude even when life isn't going well. Verse 22. Wives. Submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. If you're a spirit-filled wife in here, you'll respect your husband. You'll reverence your husband. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Listen, if you're a spirit-filled husband, you'll be a man that is easy to submit to. Why? Because you love your wife really well. And you sacrifice for your wife on a daily basis. Turn over to Ephesians 6, verse number 1. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Spirit-filled children, honor and obey their parents. Look at verse number 4 of chapter 6. And ye fathers, you could also say mothers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. If you're a spirit-filled parent, you're going to raise your kids right. You're going to instill in them a biblical worldview. You're going to share the love of Jesus with them. Look at verse number five. Servants, you could say today, employees, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in singleness of your heart as unto Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart with goodwill, doing service as to the Lord and not to man. 
So if you're an employee and you're spirit filled when you go to work tomorrow, guess what's going to happen? You're going to work hard. You're going to be on time. You're not going to cheat the time clock. You're not going to lie to get a sale. You're going to obey company policies. Even the ones you don't like. Look at verse 9. And ye masters, ye employers, do the same things unto them. Forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven. Neither is there respect of persons with him. If you're a spirit-filled employer, you're not going to favor one worker over another. You're not going to have a respect of persons when you go to work. You're going to love everybody. You're going to give everybody a fair shot. You're going to demonstrate servant leadership. Do you see this? That being filled with the spirit has less to do with the way you feel and more to do with the way you live. It does. A spirit-filled Christian, it's, it's just going to show up in what you do at work. It's going to show up in what you do at home. It's going to show up in what you do in your marriage. It's going to show up in what you do during the singing at church. That's a spirit-filled believer. Now, I want, I want to show you the parallel passage. And I know we're looking at a lot of scripture. That's, that's intentional. I just want to tonight. Colossians chapter 3. Go to Colossians. So we're in Ephesians. Then you're going to go to the right to Philippians. Then you're going to go one more book to the right. And that's in Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. I want you to look at verse number 16, and I want you to notice how similar, this is a parallel passage, how similar these verses are to the ones we just read in Ephesians. Colossians 3, look at verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Now look up here, just for a second, I'm sorry. Ephesians 5 used the language, let the Spirit of God fill you, right? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. That was the heading of Ephesians 5, and then it listed all those concrete actions to follow it. The wording here in verse 16 is let the word of Christ, the word of God, dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Then it gives a list of concrete actions, and they're almost identical. Look, verse 16. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husband as as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as unto the Lord, and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done. And there is no respect of persons. Chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. I love this. Paul says in verse 16, "Let let the word of Christ dwell richly in us. And then as a result, we're going to sing and we're going to be thankful. We're going to have correct family relationships and solid work relationships. It's the same list as in Ephesians chapter 5. Get this point. Being filled with the Spirit and being filled with the Word speak of the same thing. They're two different angles from which to view the spiritual life. You can't live in submission to the Holy Spirit without living in submission to the Word of God. That's why I get a little bit uh, nervous about somebody who over-sensationalizes the filling of the Spirit. Where all it is is just how we feel. So when we sing a certain song and it makes us feel really good, then we're filled with the Spirit. 
And when we read something in Scripture, it makes us feel really good. We're filled with the Spirit. When we go to a concert and a song makes us feel really good, we're filled with the Spirit. When someone says something nice to us, it makes us feel good. We're filled with, we just, when we feel spiritual, we're filled with the Spirit. But that is, that, that's, that's too shallow. Emotionalism doesn't work in the long run. We need to connect the filling of the Holy Spirit with obedience to God's Word. Both go hand in hand. Does that make sense tonight? All right, let me give you one more, then apply it and go home. The Holy Spirit gifts. The Holy Spirit gifts. What, what do we call the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives? Spiritual gifts, reckon that. Here's the way you can define a spiritual gift. It's an ability given or heightened by the Holy Spirit for a believer used to build up others. Now I want to talk about the first part of that definition for a second. It's an ability given or an ability heightened. I, I'm going to be honest. I'm still, I'm still learning about spiritual gifts. And there's a lot of different angles and a lot of different opinions. And, and so there's some things that are just less than clear in my own mind at least. Um, but, but let me tell you what I do understand, I think. A, a spiritual gift, I believe, can be both of those things. It can be an ability given or an ability heightened. So, so if it's given after salvation, we're, we're talking about something that perhaps you never had an inclination to or a passion for before you were saved. And then Christ uh, saves you and, and, and Holy Spirit indwells you. And now you've got a passion that you never had before or even ability that you've never had before. What, what might that look like? Um, I, I, I think for some, um, before they got saved, they were... They were not merciful people at all. They were impatient people. Um, they, they, they didn't like to listen. They had no empathy at all. Um, they would rather slice your neck than put their arm around your shoulder when you're hurting. I mean, it's just like violent people, angry people. And then somebody gets saved. And it's like now they're incredible listeners. They're gentle. They're, they're tender. They're empathetic uh, they have now, I believe, a gift of mercy in them that they never had before. And I've seen those transformations take place. I, I think there are, are some people who, who the Holy Spirit gifts to teach. Maybe they didn't have the natural ability to be a public speaker. And then, and then the Holy Spirit indwelt them upon salvation. And, and, and God just put his hand on them in a very unique way. And gifted them to preach and teach the Bible in a way that without the Holy Spirit before, they would have never been able to do. I believe that's possible. But the other way, and perhaps the more normative way that the Holy Spirit gifts believers today, is by heightening an ability or an inclination or a passion that already exists in a believer's life. I think, I think the Apostle Peter is a great example of this. All you got to do is watch Peter's life all the way through the Gospels. And what do you notice about Peter? What is he good at doing? Talking. The guy's always leading the show. The guy's always the one with the courage and boldness to say the first word or to ask the question all the other guys are thinking but won't ask Jesus. To give the opinion that all the other guys are too scared to get. To get out of the boat when no one else would. It's Peter that had this inclination already with his speech. A God-given ability that perhaps he was born with. But what happened after the Spirit of God came upon him at Pentecost? That speech was no longer 
brash and harsh and impulsive. It was now empowered and heightened by the Spirit of God in such a clear way that he preached the gospel and 3,000 people believed. I believe you already had the gift of speaking, but the Holy Spirit heightened it. Um, I'm thinking of of, uh, Paul, the, the Apostle Paul. He had this persuasive ability to teach. And God used that. Um, he was well studied in the Old Testament scripture. And, and, and that was before salvation. And so God took these things that, that he had already installed into Paul's life. The spirit of God indwelt Paul. And then empowered him to stand in front of some of the most intimidating leaders. And empowered him to stand in front of the, some of the most scholarly people of his day. And declare the gospel. In exact way that they needed to hear it in order for it to make sense to them. I believe the Holy Spirit heightened an ability that the Apostle Paul probably already had. For me, I, 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 as I was growing up, um, I never really struggled. Growing up junior high and high school, I never struggled with being a leader. I never struggled with, with giving my opinion. I never struggled with trying to persuade my friends to come to my side. It seemed like I had this, this natural inclination from the Lord to, to, to lead others uh, by being in, in front and kind of pulling the group in a certain direction. Now, now, granted, it wasn't always a great direction. It wasn't always a, a, real, a real polished form of leadership. But I believe that God put that in my life. And then the Holy Spirit heightened that ability and heightened that passion. And it's still not perfect. He's still polishing that and sanctifying that. But it's an illustration of something that I believe the Lord installed in me when he created me. And the Holy Spirit now made it better. And it's continuing to empower it. Does that make sense? Either way, let me tell you what's super clear. Okay. We won't go there, but first Corinthians chapter 12 teaches this about spiritual gifts. They are for every believer. Every believer is gifted in some way. And here's what's the second thing that's most clear. Ephesians chapter four teaches us the purpose of the spiritual gifts. It's not just for every believer, but, but Ephesians four teaches us that it is for the purpose of the edification of the body of Christ. And so if God has given you an ability, if the Holy Spirit has heightened an ability that God already gave you and empowered you, it is not to make yourself famous. It's not just so you can make a lot of money. It's not so you can heap glory to yourself. Fundamentally, the Holy Spirit gifts you so that you can build up and strengthen the body of Christ. Amen. Let me apply this to your life few ways we can respond practically to this teaching and we'll be done. Number one, open yourself to the Spirit's teaching. Open yourself. Every time the Bible is open before you, open yourself up to it. You could be sitting in, in a connection group. You could be sitting in a Wednesday night service. You, you could be opening up for yourself as you go through our Bible reading calendar every day. You, you, you could be talking about it over coffee with another church member. You could be listening to a song that that sings the Bible. Ask the Holy Spirit, learn to get in the discipline, especially every time you come to church, learn to get in the discipline of praying. Holy Spirit, show me what this means. Holy Spirit, apply this to my life. Sometimes the Spirit will use a pastor to help you understand it. Sometimes the Spirit will use a seasoned Christian to help you to understand it. Sometimes the, the, the Spirit will use uh, study tools to help you understand it. But I, I've, I've noticed sometimes in my life when people up here preaching, the Holy Spirit is preaching to me. 
And sometimes it's not that the preacher is, is, is saying just the right application that fits my life in that moment, but the Holy Spirit takes a principle that the preacher is preaching and then makes a specific application to my life. If you are going to hear the Holy Spirit applying the scripture to your life during a sermon, you have got to work hard. Listening is hard, active work. It's not passive. Submitting to the Holy Spirit as the word of God is being explained and applied to the congregation. Submitting to the Holy Spirit is a lot of diligent effort. It's listening. It's not letting your mind be distracted. Isn't it amazing sometimes God has just the right word for you at just the right time. Holy Spirit, that's his work. Number two, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve him. Here's the truth. The Holy Spirit won't prevent you from sinning. But he will convict you before you do. And he will convict you after. If you're saved. You have a choice to make before you sin. Will you heed to the conviction of the Holy Spirit? Or will you ignore the conviction of the Holy Spirit? When you ignore the Spirit and you give into temptation, don't forget, friend, that you're not only ignoring Him, but because He lives in you, you're dragging Him with you into the filth of that sin. And that grieves the Holy Spirit. And by the way, that should grieve us as well. Think about the person on earth that you love the most. Who is that that comes to your mind right now? The last thing I guarantee you, you want to do is grieve that person through your behavior. Well, the Holy Spirit is God in us. He should mean more to us than any person on earth. And it should grieve you deeply when through your choices and through your attitudes, you grieve the spirit of God. You should hate when you do that. It should concern you deeply when you do that. Number three, let the spirit define how you evaluate your spiritual health. You know what we're really good at doing as Christians? This is going to hurt a little bit, but it's true. You know what we're really good at doing? We're really good at giving ourselves more credit than we deserve. So if you're an athlete and and you want to evaluate how good you are as an athlete, typically you evaluate yourself beside somebody that's not as good as you. That's just what we do. A varsity player looks at the JV player, says, I'm a lot better than that. I'm doing just fine. But we ought to define our spiritual life through a list of the fruits of the spirit. Love, Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, uh, long suffering, gentleness, uh, meekness, faith, temperance. That's the list. These are tangible fruits, behaviors, actions. They're actually outcomes of the Holy Spirit having full reign in our life. When you look at that list, you don't go home tonight and say, I'm going to work on being more loving. That's not the point of the list. The point of the list is to show you these are the outcomes of being filled and obedient to the Spirit. So when you look at that list, you're not saying, what do I need to be better at? When you look at that list, you're looking like, like, like looking in a mirror. It, it, it's to evaluate, am I a spiritual person or not? If I'm a spiritual person, I'll see the, I'll see the fruit of love and joy and peace and long suffering and so on. And I don't know about you, but when I, when I look at my life right next to those fruits of the spirit, I am not as spiritual as I think I am sometimes. It's humbling. 
Our connection group right now is going through a, a marriage book. And in that marriage book, there's an entire chapter designated just for the practice of evaluating who we are as a spouse next to the fruit of the Spirit. And when I, as a husband, really start thinking, man, I'm a great husband, then I just put myself right next to those fruits of the Spirit and realize I got a lot of work to do. I need to let the Spirit of God fill me on a more daily basis so that my wife sees a lot more love and a lot more joy and a lot more meekness and a lot more gentleness and a lot more patience and a lot more self-control and a lot more peace, a lot more faith. Number four, when you suffer, remember the Spirit's indwelling. Christians suffer. Here's the good news. Because of the Spirit of God, we never suffer alone. Ever. Whatever you're going through, The Spirit of God is there to remind you of God's promises. The Spirit of God is there to speak into your life through other people. The Spirit of God is there to help bring scriptures to your mind. The Spirit of God is there to help you continue to believe in God's goodness. This is why the Spirit of God is called the comforter by Jesus Christ. He comforts you. You're saved in here tonight. You will suffer. Maybe you are suffering in some way. Hear me. God will never let go. Never leave you, no matter what you're going through. Number five, be bold in your evangelism. Share the gospel every day with courage because you never share the gospel by yourself. The Holy Spirit shares it with you. Martin Luther said he preached a sermon once, but the Spirit would preach it to the hearts of his hearers over and over again. Let me remind you what I talked about a few Sunday mornings ago. An apologist by the, by the name of Greg Calcul says this. It may surprise you to hear this, but I never set out to convert anyone. My aim is never to win someone to Christ. I have a more modest goal. All I want to do is put a stone in someone's shoe. I want to give him something worth thinking about. Something he can't ignore because it continues to poke at him in a good way. We plant a seed. We put a stone in somebody's shoe. And then we let the Holy Spirit go to work on him. I think perfectionism is the death of Christians sharing the gospel because everybody thinks they've got to share it perfectly in order to share it at all. What you got to realize is you just got to do your best. And you got to let the Holy Spirit do the rest. You plant a seed, you put a stone in somebody's shoe, and then you pray, and then you water it, and you watch as the Holy Spirit does what you can't do. By the way, parents, this is also, I think, can be true with the way we parent our kids. I I think we go to one or two extremes as parents. Sometimes we just give up entirely and and we say, well, we're just going to turn them over to the Lord. (laughs) Some of you laughing because you've probably done that. Right? It's very easy. Like, okay, whatever. And then sometimes we don't turn them over to the Lord. We become the Lord. So we just relinquish all control or we take all control. Usually when we take all control, what what our expectation is this. We expect that their heart is changed after one conversation. But parenting isn't one conversation. It's an 18 year conversation. You put a stone in your son's shoe. You put a stone in your daughter's shoe and they're not going to get it right away. Just like you don't get it when someone puts a stone in your shoe right away. The Holy Spirit's got to sanctify them. 
You as a parent are are one of the tools that the Holy Spirit's going to use to teach the gospel to your child and, and, and to sanctify the life of your child after they become a believer. And that will never happen in one conversation. It'll happen when you have one and then you have another, then you have another, then you have another, then you have another. And by the way, when you have them, you're under control of the Holy Spirit of God. All right, number six, and I'm done. Find and use your spiritual gifts. Find and use your spiritual gifts. How how do you know what your spiritual gifts are? Well, you can identify ways, I think, in which the Spirit has empowered and gifted you to build up the body of Christ. By, By identifying what you catch yourself doing in our church or for other people when you're in love with Jesus. When you are most in love with Jesus, what are you most busy doing? Because that that can typically identify where God has gifted you. Secondly, whatever you do in the church or for others that Christians tell you you should keep doing because you seem gifted at it, then they probably identified an area in which God has given you an ability or heightened an ability in your life. I usually refer to that as a sweet spot ministry where your experience, talent, and passion all collide. Somewhere in that general area is probably where the Holy Spirit has gifted you to build up the church. My practical advice to every Christian is just start serving. And the more you serve, the more you're going to end up discovering, perhaps with the help of other people, how the Spirit of God has gifted you. You never identify your spiritual gift by sitting in a chair. I'll take another drink on that one. You never identify your spiritual gift by sitting in the chair because sitting, sitting is not a spiritual gift. Spiritual gifts are used to edify and build up the body of Christ. Let me ask you, what are you doing for the body of Christ? How are you building up other believers? How are you making Fellowship Baptist Church a better place to worship? What are you doing with your gift that God has given you? That's the Holy Spirit. Very, very practical in our lives, but very, very helpful. I hope something that was said tonight would be a blessing. Let's pray.